Welcome to Blockchain Explained, the podcast about opportunities, challenges, and trends in blockchain technology. Whether you're a beginner or an expert, a developer, or just crypto curious, this podcast is for you. It features industry leaders and government officials discussing the world of distributed ledgers, cryptocurrencies, and the metaverse. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Rick Schaffen and Kelly Wicker. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Blockchain Explained, where we talk about the technical stuff of blockchain in a very easy way to understand it. And today we're very lucky to have with us Laura Shen. I want to introduce myself. I'm Alan Rekshaf, and I chair the Digital Assets Forum and Lab at the Wilson Center. My co-host, Kelly, would you introduce yourself also? Yeah, I'm Kelly Wicker. I'm the director of the Science and Technology Program here at the Wilson Center. Yeah, and we're, we're thrilled to have Laura Shen with us. Laura and I know each other because we put together a, uh, an education program for Congress for the House, for the Senate, for the executive on how blockchain, cryptocurrency, and digital assets work. And we're, we're thrilled to have Laura back with us today. And Laura, thank you so much for being with us. You know, you know, before you and I met um, circa summer 2022, I was a huge fan. I love your podcast. It's probably the most important podcast in the blockchain, digital assets, cryptocurrency industry. So it's a thrill to have you here. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me, and thanks for listening to my show. Yeah, love it. Um, so, you know, I wanted to start out, and I'm going to tell you how I define blockchain. And then I'd love to hear your thoughts on it and Kelly's, Kelly's thoughts um, running the science and technology effort here at Wilson. Um, my definition of blockchain is think of blockchain like a big computer where the information storage device is spread among many, many computers. So as opposed to having a computer on your desk where you run programs and stuff, or a cloud where it's on one single server, now all this information storage is spread across numerous computers. And in so doing, if you think of it as this huge supercomputer spread over all these other computers, now you can write programs on top of it. You can do also put pictures on top of it. You can even create something that resembles money on top of it. And I just want to hear your input on, on that definition of how the blockchain works and what the blockchain is. Yeah, so a blockchain is a, a ledger, a decentralized ledger. And what that means is there's no one entity in the world that is tasked with making sure that that ledger is correct. Instead, as you mentioned, there are computers all over the globe that are tra uh, you know tasked with or really sign up for the task of, you know, um, logging what the different transactions are on that ledger. But no one of them is like kind of the single source of, uh, you know, the accurate state of the ledger. They're all, all the computers decide that the accurate ledger is just existing in the cloud. And what it is, is the version of the ledger that the majority of those computers support. So how does this idea of like smart contracts, you know, running a program on the blockchain work? So when you say running a program, I think you're maybe talking about smart contracts. Is yeah. that what mm -hmm. you mean? Yeah. So in the case of Ethereum, Ethereum was a blockchain that um, instead of having one specific purpose that it was built for, it instead was built around a programming language so that it could serve as more like an app store for decentralized applications. And what that means is, you know, when you think of 
the current version of the app store on the phone, um, you know, you can have like a photo app or you can have a cooking app or whatever it is that a developer dreams up. And so on Ethereum, it's the same thing, except the version of the application that you would upload is one that would be decentralized that, you know, no one company is going to control once the software program is up there, then it's just up there in perpetuity. And you will see sometimes, yes, because there are companies that do create these programs when they want to upgrade their program, what they do is they just have to try to persuade all the users to start using the new one that they upload. And the old one will still continue to exist on Ethereum because it's now decentralized that, you know, you can't like just uh, remove it or something. And so um, they will literally just be like, join us on our version three or, you know, whatever it is. Um, but that's what Ethereum's um, kind of purpose is to be what they call an all purpose blockchain or generalized purpose blockchain, where, you know, like with Bitcoin, the purpose really is to be a peer to peer electronic cash system, which is what the subtitle of the Bitcoin white paper says. But in Ethereum's case, they really just want to be this, uh, you know, place where people can upload their decentralized applications. One thing I would love to hear a little bit more from you about is. I know a lot of times people talk about a lot of the promise of blockchain with this decentralized ledger concept is being able to create a trustless system. I don't have to trust you to be able to work with you on blockchain. Do you have thoughts on the applications of, of being able to remove trust from a system through blockchain? Well, you know, I actually find the word trustless a little bit ironic because, okay, yes, you're not trusting a person or a company anymore, but now you have to trust the software. And as people have unfortunately found out uh, in many cases when it comes to crypto, uh, sometimes the code is not written very well. And so it, uh, you know, has vulnerabilities in it that allow the money to be um, basically stolen or, uh, you know, uh, exploited in some fashion. So there, yeah, there's no trusting anymore of specific entities or people when you're using blockchain technology, um, with, with the caveat that, uh, there are a number of people who claim they're uploading something that, uh, cannot be tampered with by them, but actually it can be like, sometimes there's like little backdoor ways that they can actually, um, control something. Um, so leaving leaving those instances aside, like if we're talking about something that is actually decentralized, then yes, you still have to trust the code. And like I said, sometimes the code will do you wrong. Um, so yeah, I find that we're trustless to be, um, yeah, just maybe not fully accurate in that sense. You know, I was, I was watching your, uh, your podcast the other day and it was great because you had people on who were talking about taxation and doing your taxes. So it got me inspired. I spent all night going through my, my digital asset stuff, my taxes and, and, you know, the stuff never goes away. Right. So all the information about everything I did. So I was looking at these NFTs for, I didn't even remember having bought, but I can look in the wallet and see the pictures of them. And this idea of these things never going away and everybody being able to see what's in a particular wallet is, has repercussions in cybersecurity and all sorts of things. And I, I would love to hear your thinking on, you know, there's this concept that since the information is stored across multiple computers, nodes, of a blockchain. There's this idea that that makes it safer. And, and I'm wondering, is that actually true? You know, is there empirical evidence that this is actually true, that the blockchain is safer just because bits of data are available across, you know, multiple networks? Um, wow, safer. I mean, 
I, I guess it is true that it's harder to tamper with that data. In fact, uh, kind of near impossible. And if you were to try, you would have to uh, basically put a lot of money. You would be so highly motivated that um, you would amass some huge amount of money to be able to do that. So in that sense, um, yes, you know, for instance, you can trust that a Bitcoin transaction, at least one that's more than an hour old, um, probably won't be undone. Um, however, one thing that I would caution uh, people about is that um, there are certain types of data in in blockchains that yes, you you can kind of trust that once they're there, they're going to be there. Um, but then you probably are well aware that there have been a number of rug pulls with NFTs where people will buy the NFT and then let's say it's it's of an image and then later the image gets changed or it they lose the image. And that's because that data is technically not actually stored in the blockchain. Um, there's like a pointer to it. And then wherever, you know, if the pointer is directed to somebody's like website or whatever, and then the website goes down, um, then you have a problem. And there are certain people who bought these Coachella NFTs, which uh, Coachella did all of its NFTs via partnership with FTX. And so now, yes, they have been losing access to their NFTs. And uh, yeah, they're, so um, I would definitely say yes for certain types of data. That's true. Which is really interesting, this concept of the rug pull because of the pointer and you bring up FTX is the problems with the block, these two problems that you that you referenced are because of the the centralized part of the decentralized story, right? Because FTX is a centralized organization, it, a bunch of people in the Bahamas doing whatever they were doing. And uh, the, the story of the rug pull, having, having somebody change the picture on the, the single server which it, which it lies, it's actually interesting that the, pro the two problems that you just referenced are actually centralized problems, not decentralized problems. Yeah, yeah. Although one other thing that and again, this does point to centralization, but I would just caution people also to be aware of uh, what's called the Oracle problem where so for instance, sometimes blockchains need to pull data from somewhere else. And uh, it's d some data that's exogenous to the blockchain itself. And so a lot of these systems, they'll come up with like different ways of um, feeding what they call the oracles, which are the the feeders of that outside data into the system. But of course, those can be manipulated. And so if you don't have a very decentralized solution for the oracles, then yeah, like maybe some outside actor will manipulate the price somewhere else. And then so the price that's fed now into your quote unquote decentralized system has been manipulated. And anyway, so yeah, there's multiple um, issues, but in theory, you know, what you're talking about, like, yeah, when you have the most pure version of it, like, yes, that information um, cannot be changed. But like I said, people should just be aware that there's a lot of ways in which blockchains interact with other types of data that can cause problems. If, if I can actually pursue this a little more, I think one thing we're interested in educating people on is what are the things that they don't know about blockchain that they should like this? Or what are things that they think they know about blockchain that are actually incorrect? What would you say is maybe the number one thing people should know? Oh, there's so many, <laughs> but I'll try to look there. So two come to mind right away. 
Um, one is just that if you decide to kind of participate in this, you should understand that the way this type of money behaves is just not the same way that money in your bank account behaves. Like even if like you look at your banking website or your, um, you know, your the transactions in your credit card or whatever, um, you know, you can do a chargeback. You can call somebody and be like, hey, that was a fraudulent transaction. Can you send that money back to me or, or whatever it is? And um, when it comes to, you know, Bitcoin or Ether or any of these crypto assets, like there's no, you know, customer service at Bitcoin or Ethereum. Like there's no centralized entity where you can be like, hey, that that was that shouldn't have happened. Like send that money back because it's more like cash. Like Bitcoin and Ether are similar to cash. Yes, they're digital. But in the digital sense, uh, in the digital world, they still function like cash in the sense that. If somebody gets a hold of your money, then you're not going to get it back unless um, they decide to send it back to you. <laughs> so, um, you know, if it gets stolen or whatever, then like, you know, unfortunately, you're you're sort of um, out of luck. Um, so that's the first thing. And then the second thing um, I would say was, wait, I'm sorry, what was the second half of your question? It was I guess what, are what they need to know. People should know. Oh, about how. Or what are things that they think they know uh, that are actually not quite true? Yeah. So this is a very common one that I hear. Um, people often say, oh, crypto is full of crime and like it's all just criminals and illicit activity and blah, blah, blah. And actually, um, the and, and I'm citing here like the most rigorous um, studies of, of this kind of thing. Granted, it's it's not apples to apples because the two organizations are different organizations, but um, you're not going to get one that studies both. So um, Chainalysis is uh, a company that does probably the most comprehensive uh, crypto crime report every year. And um, at least for the last few years, I, I don't know about before that, but um, they've shown that the percentage of crime in or, or illicit activity in crypto is less than 1%. So one year, I think it was like 0.15. And I think they issued their most recent, and I forget what it was. Uh, it went up a smidge, but it's still below 1%. And in the traditional banking system or in the traditional financial system, crime or illicit activity counts for two to 5%. So it's an order of magnitude greater. And the common perception is actually that, oh, like, you know, crypto is what's full of crime. But, um, you know, when you get down to it, actually, it's just much more common in the traditional financial system. I'm not saying that that won't change at a certain point. It might. Um, I'm just saying that, you know, at least for now, um, the perception is that it's full of crime and it's not. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I wanted for a moment put the whole concept of financial on hold. You know, there's this whole idea of cryptocurrency. This all started out with Bitcoin, the idea for a distributed ledger and having it be a, a, one, a one trick pony, a one, uh, a one use item, that it was to create a cryptocurrency that would float on this blockchain. But blockchain really has incredible uses that are outside. And I think one of the problems that's happening from the regulatory perspective and, and in terms of policy is these things have become so weaved together, the idea of the technology of the blockchain and the advantage of a decentralized cryptocurrency that people sometimes forget about how important the technology is independent because the, the technology up to date has been funded to a certain extent by the cryptocurrencies that were native to the, those blockchains. And so 
and, and I think that's, by the way, why the SEC is saying it's a high priority for them now. And, uh, and a lot of the regulatory focus and, and the problems have come from the money part. But I'm very intrigued by the technology and what can be accomplished using blockchain. You know, I bought a house a couple of years ago and to get my my title was, you know, one of the most frightening things because I gave all the documents to some person who I had never met and didn't hear anything for two months until, you know, luckily somehow it wound up on my desk that my house was actually registered in my name. And so I'd love for you to talk about the technology independent of what has been, been the financing mechanism for that technology, which are the cryptocurrencies that exist on the blockchain, and to understand a little bit about what industries could be impacted by the technology of blockchain and and what the real use cases are now and and might be as opposed to just moving things around moving money around what could we actually use blockchain for that makes it important to not just say you know forget about this is just a money-making venture or a crypto casino yeah well uh, so a couple of things so i would i would say that um i actually think that the financial piece of, of blockchain technology is huge. Um, there's a reason why the first blockchain was one that was centered around money and that even today you're continuing to see that a lot of the innovation has some kind of financial component, like for instance, NFTs or, you know, a lot of these games now, um, they'll have these NFTs that actually have real value and stuff. Um, and I think that's because in our physical world, we have a sense of things being, um, you know, like, like scarce and having value. And so just transferring that notion to our digital space makes a lot of sense. And so in that regard, I feel like, um, that's no matter what, that's going to be a big part of how this blockchain of how this technology is applied. Um, but what I would also say is that, um, the sort of speculative mania that we're seeing in in crypto is not actually necessarily a bad thing. I understand that right now, just on a purely, um, yeah, just on a on a practical level, like of course there there's a lot of downside to that. Um, but there's this amazing book. I don't know if you've read it called um, Financial Capital and Technological Revolutions. I think it's called by Car Carlotta Perez. And she does this amazing analysis of all of these different technological revolutions that have happened in history. And she um, shows how all of them, you know, it's like, like she does like, I don't know, the steam engine, and then she does like the internet. And I don't know, there's six different ones, I forget all of them. But the point is that um, she'll talk about how for all of them, they start where there's like a glimmer of like what this technology can do. And then it sparks this speculative fervor. And yeah, it creates a bubble. And there's kind of this mania. And it's like, yeah, largely negative. However, what you don't see is that actually it has a positive benefit in the long term, which is that the speculative mania just brings a lot of money into the system and it gets a lot of people developing that technology. And then that is what enables it to mature and then eventually kind of benefit society in you know, whatever fashion it, it can. And then but what happens over time is then it sort of becomes entrenched and ossified and then sort of the negative um, consequences of that technolo technology come out and then 
what she says is usually around that time is when the next high technology, there's glimmers of that, and then there's a speculative fervor, et cetera. So, um, yes, I understand. At the moment, it sort of feels like, oh, my God, there's just a lot of craziness, um, and, like, there's no purpose to it. But uh, I believe we are, and even just in the um, almost eight years that I've been covering crypto, I feel like I've already seen this, that it just has gone from something so small to something way more developed and useful. Um so what I would say is we will see an impact for sure in financial services. I think gaming is going to be another huge one. And I, I say that because even before blockchain technology existed, um, there were there was like this whole industry in the video game world where uh, basically people in kind of like uh, richer, more like Western countries would basically pay people in like poorer kind of like Asian countries to do what's called grinding in the game where they like do all the things to earn the, you know, the swords and whatever. Um, and then they would like pay them to do that. And then they would get the, the nice, you know, whatever, um, things, you know, the, the tools that you use in these, uh, games to get more points and stuff and win. Um, but anyway, the point is that because that already was an industry and that was being done just like with normal video games, um, now that you actually can create actual scarcity and true ownership using digital goods with games, um, I think that that will probably be another one. Um, you know, beyond that, like I know sometimes people talk about things like um, using it in, um, I don't know, like sort of more pie in the sky things like healthcare or, or um, you know, provenance, whatever supply chain stuff. Um, I do have to say like, Anything where you're trying to take something from the real world and then bring it to a blockchain, you know, it's what I mentioned earlier about that Oracle's issue, like just trying to take outside information and then connect it to a blockchain, like it's very, it's very dicey. Like there's a moment where definitely somebody somewhere could, could perpetrate fraud probably. Um, whereas like just when you're using assets that are native to that blockchain, like this, it's just much more difficult. So I feel like for now, um, a lot of it is going to be stuff where it's like, you know, um, things where it's just in the blockchain itself. But, you know, I would already say that a bunch of creators are benefiting from NFTs, you know, like you'll hear these musicians that are just like, oh, you know, um, I can't remember what the, what the numbers were, but one of them, RAC, he tweeted about how his first big NFT drop, he made some amount of money that was, uh, you know, I forget. Um, I, so I don't remember the amount, but he made it from, let's say, like 100 people. And the same amount of money would have, uh, from Spotify, it would have taken like more than a million listens. And he just was like, you know, okay, so... Uh, <laughs> If for me, if for him, like it solved a problem, you know, he feels like he's underpaid by Spotify. Um, but then with the NFTs, he was able to like connect to real fans who are willing to pay him real money and just made so much more from such a small group. So yeah, I think there's, there's so many ways that, uh, this will benefit different groups, but it, it might be a while because yeah, there's, there's a lot of shenanigans happening right now. And I certainly can appreciate the, the idea that once you try to put something in the real world and connect it to the blockchain, there's that missing, you know, how do you link those two together? You know, because the blockchain will give you the information flow that I sent money to the seller of my house and that person is transferring title, but the house is just still sitting there in the real world. And if somebody comes as a squatter and sits in my house, the blockchain doesn't really help me that much with that. Exactly. But what I was trying to focus on to a certain extent was, you know, so much of what the SEC is doing and what they're looking at is the fact that the fundraising um, 
technique that has been used by blockchains and the the reward system in blockchains is by giving some financial compensation in the form of a native token a coin whatever you want to call it and i'm wondering if you think that there could be a bifurcation of the technology the question is can you have the technology and have it funded through traditional means so the people who are recording that information on the ledger as opposed to paying them in a native token why not just mail them a check why does it have to be in the form of a cryptocurrency you know why does it why can't the technology exist the funding mechanism be in fiat aside from the you know bitcoin purists who are upset that people are trying to write nfts on their on their on their chain and stuff like that but why can't we bifurcate the two and have the funding mechanism remain in the fiat world in the traditional finance world of security law um and sort of get rid of the cryptocurrency aspect of it and focus on the technology with the funding being bifurcated in the form of of traditional financial tools no because yeah then then you have to it then it's like more centralized and i don't know it's just it just would be a, a total headache <laughs> right. excuse me um i mean yeah i, I mean like so I, I have a small business and whenever I pay people, one of the very first things they ask me is, how are you going to pay me? And um, it's actually, and, and because crypto is global, like a lot of these people I'm paying, they're not necessarily in the US. And just that alone is a headache. <laughs> and so for a lot of them, it can be easier for me to just pay them in USDC. And um, I even notice, like my sponsors, like often they don't want to pay me using the banking system. It's a headache. It's much easier for them to send USDC. I will send an invoice. I will receive the payment in USDC that day. That never, ever, 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 ever happens with the banking system. It just doesn't. And so um, when you're using the the native asset, you know, like I said, like these blockchains are ledgers, and so. It, there's a built-in ledger. It just makes it much easier to handle the payment like in the same ledger where you're showing that the work occurred. So, um, you know, gathering all the different identities to make the payments and using the banking system for all these people all over the globe. Like sometimes also when you pay people in some random corridor, like, you know, one that's like not, well, I mean, the US obviously is a big country, but let's say you're like in Guatemala and you want to pay somebody in Cambodia, like, there's probably going to be like 30% taken out from that payment. So, you know, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's way easier to, um, to use the blockchain itself. Uh, one last thing on this is, I don't know if you know that, uh, Coinbase CEO, Brian Armstrong used to work at, uh, at Airbnb. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, his role was, uh, something having to do with payments and like, uh, you know, protecting against fraud. And then he realized like, oh, when you're making payments, you know, like, let's say you have like a, a host that lives in, you know, like, I don't know, Nicaragua, and they're taking payment from somebody who's Russian. Like, that's not an easy thing to do. And so he just, that's how he realized like, oh, this whole banking thing, like it's, it's a total pain. And anyway, that kind of is what got him interested in the promise and potential of Bitcoin, which is what led him to, to launch Coinbase. But the point is that, yeah, like, it, for anybody who deals with a lot of global payments, like you very quickly realize like, oh yeah, actually using a blockchain is way easier. And you know, I, I, last thing I'll say on this is like, a lot of Americans don't get these things, but then I've had a bunch of people on my show who are like from Afghanistan or Argentina or, you know, whatever. And they, they will tell you about like the real problems they've had. 
uh, just sending civil payments. And mm -hmm. so for them, like, this is revolutionary. But, you know, to American, it's like, why would you do that? And it's like, well, yeah, okay, you have, you know, tons of credit cards and a really well-functioning banking system, so you don't get it. But anybody who lives in a different country, one that doesn't have as good services, like, they are very well aware that this, you know, has advantages. It's, you know, I, I, I'm just wondering, though, wouldn't one just Bitcoin solve that problem? I mean, I don't mean to press back, but if if I have a smart contract blockchain, right? I, I don't, I don't, I'm even, you know, with the way things are going, I'm even afraid to say the name of a blockchain now because people could say I'm talking about a security uh, because the SEC is becoming so aggressive. But, but um, if I have a blockchain and I can, and Bitcoin, which the SEC has pretty much said is a commodity and can be used in sort of the manner you're talking about, why do I need a native cryptocurrency in a blockchain that's doing other stuff like, you know, healthcare initiatives or or whatever else is going on in a smart contract. Well, I mean, that's the whole purpose of a blockchain is to to manage um, you know, digital assets and those are ones that can have financial value because you can have provable scarcity with them. You know, you can't do that with like a phone that people are passing around from passing around from phone to phone to phone. You know, it's just sending copies all the time. So, in that regard, like, I mean, that's really what the whole purpose is. Like, when you have a ledger, the purpose of the ledger is to track the movement of assets. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, like you, I, I mean, granted. So, I agree for a blockchain for healthcare purposes. I, I don't really. I, to me, that's just so people talk about that, but I don't, I don't see it like happening yet in the real world, at least not in any major way. So for me, like that is, that's just a, an example that people talk about in this very idealistic fashion, but isn't really, um, happening yet. Um, and like I said, I, I think connecting anything real world that presents a challenge, but, um, yeah, I mean, like, I feel like the question you're asking is almost like why should blockchains even exist? But like I said earlier, you know, we want to take this concept of ownership from our real world into our digital worlds. So it just seems like a no brainer that that is going to happen at some point. Well, thank you, Laura. I think, you know, I know we're running out of time a little bit here, but Alan, I think um, you had one last question that we talked about that I thought was a really good one. Yeah. So, so, Laura, I, I'm wondering if you, if you could improve something in the current state, of, look, I, I, I have your book here, which I recommend that all our Audience goes and buys the Kryptonians, idealism, greed, lies in the making of the first big cryptocurrency craze. So I'm wondering, with the way things exist right now and the technology as is right now and what's going on in the cryptocurrency markets and in the wake of FTX and what the SEC is doing and the way the regulators are looking at this, what is the next craze in cryptocurrency? What's your next book going to be about? And, and how does that dovetail with what things in blockchain technology would you like if you could wave a magic wand and and change the way the technology works what would you add to it to make it better to make it more useful or to um to actuate these sort of idealistic ideas of of put, moving everything to a digital forum where where things are tracked and 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 recorded well um I mean, it's it's hard for me to say because, you know, being a reporter, I, I just try to cover what's actually happening. But 
Um, probably a few things. Um, you know, right now we're recording during a time when uh, the kind of, um, I guess, debate is a very um, understated word for the um, kind of disagreements, I would say, that the industry and regulators have over how this industry should be regulated are kind of reaching um, a fever pitch. And, um, you know, SEC Commissioner Hester Peirce has um, come out and talked about how she thinks that the agency should set forth clear guidance and rules for the industry so that way they know any activities they're doing in an innovative fashion um, they can do them and design those activities knowing okay this will not trip trip up any uh, you know uh, regulatory violations but what's happening now is because there isn't any clear guidance people are innovating and experimenting and then afterward after the fact they get slapped with the fine and a charge and blah 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 and um so she has said that she doesn't think that's fair and a lot of the entrepreneurs obviously are going to say that um because you know they're they're innovating with this fear hanging over their heads like oh is this gonna you know get me some kind of charge that i just don't even know at this moment it you know could happen and so um I think I probably um, see that as as probably being a fair change that could be made, but uh, you know I don't really have any faith that's going to happen because the entrepreneurs have been asking for this for a very long time and it hasn't happened. Um, but then the other thing probably would just be that I do think that you know there's something a little bit weird about how the blockchains all the big ones are public meaning that everybody can see all the transactions and yes i am a beneficiary of that because obviously for my work that's hugely helpful and yet I, at the same time like i myself am a private person and you know i'm one of those people like on my venmo i'd never let anybody see what i'm paying other people like i think that's weird that you would broadcast all the stuff you're paying other people like i just would never do that um, so in that regard, I know different people in the blockchain space are working on privacy solutions. And I think that those probably are pretty private promising and are probably going to be eventually how this technology is used on a broader level, because yeah, the vast majority of our transactions are not public, they're private. Um, so I imagine some level of that would be necessary for this to really take off. Laura, thank you so much for being with us today. It is such an honor to have you. You really are. And please plug your podcast. Please tell, tell, <laughs> tell our audience where, where they can hear your podcast because you, a lot of what I know about this industry is from you. So if you, you want to share with our audience um, where they can hear your podcast. and Yeah, yeah. So it's called Unchained and I've been doing it since 2016, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> it's coming up on seven years, um, but it's super fun and it comes out twice a week, Tuesday and Friday. Uh, and in addition, we have uh, this show called The Chopping Block, where it's a bunch of VCs that get together and they chat about the news of the week. It's sort of like the crypto version of the All In podcast. And you can find it on any podcast player and also on YouTube. Laura, thank you so much. Kelly, I'm going to turn it over to you to, to close this out for, uh, for our, our podcast of the day. Yeah, thank you, Laura, so much. This is really enlightening. Um, and I hope all of our uh, listeners and watchers will tune in next time for the next episode of Blockchain Explained. We're going to keep digging into regulatory challenges, use cases, and a lot more. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Blockchain Explained. 
Please note, nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Want more clear-eyed analysis of this exciting technology? Search for Digital Assets Forum at the Wilson Center for research, event recordings, and more. Want to ask our hosts a question? Write to stip, S-T-I-P, at wilsoncenter.org with your thoughts. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Blockchain Explained.